So welcome to Job Fair Podcast. I'm back with you again today. I'm interviewing another military personnel. His name is Elliot. I went to school with him when I was in middle school and high school. From when I knew him, he was a good student. He was very active in everything pretty much. And so he had a great resume applying to the Service Academy. And I'll let him give you a little bit more of an in-depth bio about himself. Here, let me give you something real quick. Delarian, before he did his interview, he did state these views are his own and do not represent the Air Force. So if you want to throw that out there. <laughs> these are solely my views, not those of the Army. Yeah, so I went to uh, high school at GMC with uh, Cody. And then uh, I applied and got accepted to the United States Military Academy. Went there for four years. Um, commissioned as a Army officer uh, in the aviation branch. Um, from there, I went to flight school. Well, I majored in systems engineering at West Point and then went to flight school, uh, became a UH-60 Mike Black Hawk pilot, and now I'm stationed down with the 4-3 Assault Helicopter Battalion in Savannah, Georgia, out of Hunter Army Airfield. So that's kind of my professional timeline, and I've been here with that unit for two years now. Um, actually just got back from deployment um, over in Turkey. So things are a little bit hectic now, but working with Cody to get into a schedule. But that's kind of my my brief professional background. All right. Sounds great. So I usually start things out with this, and you can feel free to say no if you want to. But I usually ask people um, what their pay is and stuff like that. And if you could kind of go into, I guess, because you've probably ranked up a little bit. I don't really know. Or if you just start out this rank. But if you can kind of go into how rank affected your pay and stuff. Yeah, so anybody looking to go into the military, the nice thing about any job with that is that you know anybody could Google right now exactly how much I make and how much anybody in the Army makes at various ranks. So if you want a job where you know what your pay is going to be, the Army is definitely good for that. So um, all said and done, taxes and everything considered as a first lieutenant. So I commissioned as a second lieutenant, so I've promoted once. um, And right now I'd say my yearly income is right around uh, $60,000 a year. Okay. And that uh, promotion, are a lot of the promotions just like as long as you stay in and don't do anything really bad, you get promoted? Or did you have to, you know, kind um, of compete for that? So it's different on the enlisted side versus the commissioned side. So officers versus uh, soldiers or NCOs or non-commissioned officers. But as an officer, the first kind of two promotions you have are largely time and service-based. So this promotion for me was automatic at 18 months of service. And then I'll pin captain next year at three years of service. And then okay. from there, after those first two, that's where you start getting into more competitive windows where it's not automatic. It's definitely a, a pretty significant cut for who gets promoted there. Okay, that makes sense. That's exactly how mine is, and I work for the civilian side of the DOD. So if you could go into a little bit of detail on what steps you had to take to get into the service academy initially, like obviously you apply, but, you know, maybe like the physical requirements or whatever else you had to do to prepare Mm -hmm. for that. So West Point's pretty similar to the other service academies in that, if I can remember back now, your application is, (laughs) they they look at three major facets of, the person and that's kind of your academic, your physical. And then the last one is, I think they, for applications, it's like your kind of character tier or what you do in terms of like helping out the community and stuff or extracurriculars. Um, so obviously academics were huge to get in there. Um, good SAT scores, 
um, good grades, etc. I will say one of the bummers of going to a service academy is that if you do any AP classes or things like that, they do not transfer. So you might get mm. placed ahead, but that just means you're taking a harder class, not a le- one less class. Um, well, that, is that the same with joint enrollment? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's no, no such thing as a credit transferring to the service academies. All right. Um, yeah, you start from scratch with all your peers. And what exactly what exactly is the service commitment like? Is it one year to one year? So if you do four years at the service academy, you owe them four years? No. So it is, um, and I can only speak to Army here. So at West yeah. Point, when you commission and you accept your contract, it is five years of active active duty service and then three years of time in the reserves. That changes a lot um, year to year. Um, and also, they're starting to change it based on what you branch. For example, now, if you go aviation in the Army period, um, that is a 10-year service obligation okay. for officers. So That makes that's sense. That's really similar to, um, I interviewed Delarian the other day, and he went to flight school after going to the Air Force Academy. And yeah, they tack on extra years if you do that, because they're putting a lot more time and money into you. Yeah, so that absolutely. Makes sense. Okay. So... You went to GMC, which has a pretty well-established JROTC program. I was going to ask, how do you think that helped you in terms of your application, but also just how do you think it helped prepare you for going to the service academy? Um, I would say in terms of application, maybe looking back on it, not as much as you would think. The service academies don't really care what you've done so much as that you did something and then if you were good at it. It doesn't matter if you were, you know, the MVP of your high school football team, you know, the class of 2,000 people, or if you are a concert flutist, you know, in a class of 50, so much as that you, you know, you're passionate about something and you strive to be successful at it. The military portion, they accept people from all walks of life. So it doesn't matter if you have, you know, you come from an army family, you know, everything about West Point, you know, nothing about West Point. Um, it's really just, again, that that drive that this is something you want to do. But JRTC at GMC, I think definitely did help me just in the biggest change when you go to a service academy is that everything is very um, structured and time management. I think having some of the little things already ingrained in me, like how to wear the uniform and how to do parade and whatnot, probably helped more than I realized in terms of alleviating some of the stresses of adjusting to quote-unquote military life i guess yeah everything's scheduled out for you and that's, that's similar to what delarian and ryan said who enlisted so all right so yeah. i had another question about the commitment so when you go for your degree in your normal colleges your typical colleges even if somebody doesn't fail any classes they may take more than four years to graduate or they may even finish it up a little early like say three or three and a half years is that yeah. even possible do they let you do that in the service academy or are you just so structured they tell you what classes you're taking and you're on track for the four year no so i think there might be a little bit of a misconception in terms of how the service academies operate during the academic year it is not a gung-ho military organization it's very much a top-end college in that you can pick your classes to an extent within your brand once you've you know selected your your field of study or your major, you can pick your classes and kind of build your tracks, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you have an academic advisor. So yeah, you, you have some freedom in terms of what classes you can pick. Now you cannot finish early. Um, you know, if you 
load up yourself in terms of credit hours. You're going to just take extra classes um, on the back end. And then in terms of graduating late academically, at that point, either you'll have failed out or you'll get cut. But there's no such thing as you can't drop a class. Okay. So. All right. And could you, do you think you could speak on like maybe what the attrition rate is? Like how many people do drop out before they finish the four years roughly? Um, so it's hard to say really, cause I, I'm thinking off the top of my head, my beast class or my in processing class was probably between 12 and 1300, um, cadets. And we graduated with right around 950. So okay. not, not a huge attrition rate. I would say the largest drop off occurs in the first year to first year and a half. And then after that, it kind of trickles down as people, at that point, people are getting kicked out for uh, academics or character issues, not so much as quitting, if that makes sense. Yeah, so the first year you think it's just quitting just because like the, the culture shock's not what they expected or what? Um, I would say, yeah, a lot of people will, will quit because of the culture shock. Um, most people quit due to the academic load. It's a pretty significant amount of credit hours on top of an already busy schedule in terms of extracurriculars that you're expected to do. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, I, I don't want to say it's not hard or it's easy, but it's manageable. It just requires somebody that is definitely good at prioritization and time management. And that's the biggest thing that they're trying to teach you more than anything else. They don't, I, I would say largely the service academies don't care that you walk away you know, being able to recite any crazy engineering theorem or know the max effective ranges of weapon systems so much as the officers they produce, they want them to be good at prioritization and time management because that's those skills are applicable no matter what your job is. Okay. So I think and I think people that are bad at that really struggle. Okay. And roughly how many credit hours do you take uh, per semester? I sat... I would say mine was a little unique, but I sat right at 20 credit hours a semester. Okay, yeah, that is a significant load because most, I know when I went to college, you had to get approval to get more than 18 credit hours per semester. So is that including yeah. like extracurriculars or anything or kind of a spare? No, so that's, so I would say that the average cadet, you know, averaged out would take anywhere between, I think you would sit right between 15 and 18 credit hours. Mm -hmm. And then depending on what you're doing, you might go up to 20 or, or higher depending on the semester. And so, then on top of the academics, you do have to do, um, it's called like intramurals company athletics. Um, you have yeah. to do some drill and ceremony after, uh, after the work day and then any other ceremonies and stuff was West Point has a lot of distinguished visitors come and visit. So your distinguished guests, I should say. So what was it about your case where you were taking 20 hours, if you don't mind? Um, so I overloaded, because I wanted to do uh, an honors thesis. So I did that, and then I took a few more classes for my my focus area, I guess, which was, I did a custom focus area, but my my major was systems engineering. And within that, you can specialize as a systems engineer with a specialty in mechanical or ergonomics or psychology of engineering whatnot and that just means that outside of your your systems classes you take classes in other fields that kind of give you that specialty so 
That's I almost just took like a, a lot. minor. It's a minor, but you don't get credit for it like that. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I just I just took more of those classes, um, probably than I should have. But so when I was talking to Delirian, they they let you get whatever degree you want. So they're pretty free in that aspect. However, for certain things, like if you want to, if you picked that you wanted to be an airplane mechanic, you had to take kind of like a STEM-oriented degree, really. Is that the same for your uh, West Point? Yeah, absolutely. And it goes both ways. So if you want to be a language major, you will still have a Bachelor's of Science degree, and you're going to take a lot of one of the major engineering fields classes so you could be a russian major and you're still going to take three or four classes in mechanical engineering if you want to um, be like a airplane mechanic or something you mean no if you want no everybody so no matter okay. what you even if you want to do international relations you're still going to study systems engineering as one of your tracks um, okay. and the same thing like for me being a systems engineer i still had to take international relations i still had to take military history i still had to take world history american history three different english classes etc so yeah you still had to take your cores and everything yeah but i just the cores at the service academies also include what would amount to a minor in an engineering field okay okay that's interesting to know okay so one of the other questions i had for you is when you are going through school and everything are you kind of, do you have like a selection of the type of roles that you want to go to afterwards? Are they kind yeah. of like categorized? Yeah, you put in your preferences for your branches. And then based on what branch you select, you can kind of think of it like the NFL draft. You've got your class rank. There's a lot more to it than this, but you've got your class rank based on your performance. You go into a room, they've got all the slots available for your class based on the branches. You know, your number's called, you go pick armor, infantry, aviation, whatnot. Um, and then from there, you'd go to another room, and everybody in your branch, so everybody that selected armor, would go into the armor room, and they would have all the posts that are available to armor officers. And similar with your OML within your branch, you would select the location you're going to go to. Okay. So there's that's definitely an oversimplified version, but that is how they did it at one point. So you can you can select for which branch you want to go into, but you're not necessarily going to get in that branch. Like if it's a very competitive branch, you may not get in. Exactly. So you, you put in your preferences, but you know, depending on your class rank, if you're bottom third, you're going to get whatever everybody else didn't pick. Makes sense. So uh, you went to aviation school. Roughly, how many categories are there? How many branches? Yeah, how many branches? Well, you can say that I'm a bad army officer because I don't know off the top of my head. <laughs> I'm thinking either 13 or 16, but who knows, because now we've got the Space Force, so I'd have to go look. But, um, you know, off the top of my head, infantry, armor, field artillery, aviation. Um, you've got adjutant general corps, finance, engineer, um, okay. yeah, ordinance, transportation. So definitely so a, a wide variety of skill sets. For your aviation school, how many years was that? Um, so flight school is roughly a year to a year and a half, um, just depending on the course flow, okay. um, down at Fort Rucker, Alabama, um, you do your flight school and then aviation is a little unique cause you don't pick your, your posting until you're about to graduate flight school as opposed to when you're at the service academy. 
So when I was in flight school, I didn't know that I was going to come to Hunter. Um, I actually selected that at flight school. Okay. All right. So um, once you get to flight school, are there kind of uh, different tracks in what type of, I guess, um, airplane or helicopter or whatnot? Yeah, so everybody, um, everybody does, you know, your general aviation or initial entry rotary wing training. Um, so everybody learns to fly helicopters for the Army. Okay. Um, and that's just in a little civilian helicopter. And then after that, you select your, uh, they call it your advanced airframe, and that'll be either a Chinook, a Black Hawk, or an Apache, or a C-12 fixed wing. So you select that, again, based off your order of merit list, your class rank, and then also what the Army has available. So you go into the room, they have all the aircraft up available for your class of, you know, 30 to 50 people. You go up there one by one and pick your airframe, and then from there you'll go into that that specific aircraft training. Okay, cool. All right, so I have some questions about your uh, tour duties. Uh, I kind of some of these came up when I was interviewing Major Hall. Uh, I thought it was some good questions for you. So Major Hall was saying he was an officer, an artillery officer, but he was saying roughly uh, your tour duties last like uh, two or three years, and then every two or three years you go back and select a new tour duty. And it's unlikely that they'll let you do the same tour duty twice in a row. Is that um, do you have the same experience with that, or? I don't know if you've been in long enough to really see much of that. Yeah, so it's just your posting. The Army's gone to three years at a post, so I should spend three years here at Hunter, um, Hunter Army Airfield, and then I will go back to uh, Chem's crew course, another school for six months with my promotion, and then from there I'll go to another unit somewhere else. Not to get you know too into the technical details of how the Army manages its people, but... You can extend, um, depending on your rank, position, branch, and everything. You know, if your kids were juniors in high school and you hit your third year, they'd extend to you so they could stay in their high school and then graduate as seniors. That's definitely okay. not uncommon. You'll definitely hear of people that have been at one post for six or eight years even. Um, but, yeah, traditionally, every three years you move. And they also prefer you to do an international post every now and again? Is that true? Um no, I would say those are actually pretty competitive to get. Yeah, those are usually pretty highly sought after just because getting to go live in Italy or Germany is pretty exciting for a lot of people. Yeah, makes sense. So could you kind of go over some of your day-to-day -day operations, like what you're doing now, and then maybe uh, when you were doing your international tour? Yeah, so day-to-day, -day, I'd say that anybody that's looking at going into the Army as an officer just – I don't want to say the Army is not unique, but the day-to-day -day is largely just managing people. You know, you're not, I don't, I'm not out there like working on helicopters. I go fly occasionally, but as an officer, really, it's more just doing anything to make a organization run. So I think like Cody and I were talking before this about how engineers aren't necessarily building rockets or doing the cool stuff. I would say largely my day is a lot of Excel work. Uh, managing a training calendar, trying to project, you know, how the Army is going to spend its money out for the next year on our unit, managing flight schedules, flight hours, maintenance programs, just the day-to-day -day operations. Um, so, yeah, I'd say largely I'm, I'm glued to a computer. Um, not to go down a rabbit hole, but I think that anybody that's looking at going into this profession, what's unique about it, though, is 
you never do one job really for more than a year at max a year and a half so before this i was a platoon leader which meant that every day i was you know trying to put out fires with my guys i was flying doing maintenance you know you're out on the line working with people more and more and then now i'm on staff which is more of a computer just nugging online every day and then in a year i'll change to another job whether that's supply or something else so it's challenging every day and every day definitely kind of burns you out but i guess the um, inconsistencies of it where it's always changing does keep things entertaining i don't i don't look at myself sitting here and go man i might be doing the same job 40 years from now um you know am i just going to grow old at this desk like i know in a year i'm going to do a completely new job and then I'm also going to go move somewhere else. And then three years later, I'll move somewhere else and do completely different jobs. So that's kind of nice. That makes sense. That matches what Major Hall said. So uh, could you go into your day-to-day when you were doing your international tour? Like, what was that like? Yeah, so that was unique. It's not actually a deployment. It's just a training rotation. Um, So we were in support of Atlantic Resolve. um, So just working with NATO allies in Eastern Europe. Um, so I started out in Turkey for a few months, um, just moving people around there on their uh, southern border, and then um, went to Romania. Mostly that was just working with NATO allies um, in Romania and Latvia, and as aviation, you're just kind of a glorified taxi service, so I'm just moving people from one place to another and getting to enjoy the views along the way. It would have been a lot more entertaining, but uh, with the whole COVID situation hitting, a lot of training events were canceled as we were kind of getting a grasp on how to train underneath those conditions and whatnot. So, Makes sense. But yeah, day-to-day out there, same thing I'm doing now, just a little bit more exciting. So as an officer, are you really, um, do you expect to really be put in any combat zones or no? Um, yeah, absolutely. But anybody in the military should always have that expectation that you're going to go wherever they need you. Um, yeah. And as an officer, that's usually where things are most chaotic. Mm-hmm. so absolutely okay. and do you do you have any sense for like uh how your day-to-day might be different if you were put in the combat zone because I, I imagine it would be a lot less you know managerial per se but maybe i'm wrong um i will say less managerial but some of the more tedious things of trying to figure out you know for example this week we it came down that we needed to figure out who in our unit lives on what side of a highway because that's the highway that Georgia uses to um, delineate a hurricane impact zone versus not. So it was a pain to like track down everybody's number and address and yada, yada, and just, you know, building that into some master Excel tracker. Um, That stuff obviously goes away on deployment. So it's nice in that it's kind of like practicing for the game. You know, you spend all this time back home at practice, but you're also going to school on the side. When you're deployed, it's you're just playing. Like you're in the game at that point. So everything you're doing is dedicated solely to that one objective. Okay, yeah, makes sense. So uh, I do want to hit back on the tour of duties because uh, I had a question that's unique to you, but your, your grandfather, General Boylan, he worked at GMC. And I'm curious if that was a post through the military or that was just GMC who hired him. I've always kind of been curious. Yeah, so he was retired. Okay. So I'm not as familiar with this, but one thing that you can do as a uh, major in the Army, as an officer, is a broadening assignment where you would go to 
uh, JRTC program and manage that program as okay. the, I can't remember the name of it, but as the instructor. Uh, my grandpa had retired at that point and he just got hired by GMC as the, the president of the college. All right. So could you kind of go into detail about some of the, the what parts of the uh, the job kind of drive you away? What, what annoys you about the job just so they can see some of the bad parts too? Oh man, long list. Okay. <laughs> um, the biggest one, and I'm, I would imagine that uh, Ryan Parm, you said you interviewed him, correct? Yep. Yes, I'm sure he talked about it. Is just time away. You get to travel a lot, and you know if you're single, it might be better. But uh, I am married, and it is definitely a significant time commitment for a job, just not at home. And that's whether you're deployed on a training rotation or even when you're here. I mean, you do PT starting at 6:30 in the morning, and I usually don't get home till about six at night, and that's just on a you know a regular work day. But if we're gone in the field, um, like for example, this this quarter, um, just between September and December, I'm going to be gone a little over probably a month and a half, where I'll be in the field or not in Savannah. So. Okay. That's and that's that's home. So out of five months, you know, I'm still gone a month, even when I'm home here. So that's definitely something that sucks and makes me question. You know, how good is this for my family? I'd say staying on the the negative trend. Um, like any government-run organization, I think one of the issues for the military is that you can't really fire people. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> which means that largely you have a lot of people that have been here for a really long time. Um, that know that they can't get fired and that they're going to get paid regardless of their performance. So they're just kind of hanging out. And then you have some people that are, you know, real go-getters, you know, and your playmakers for your organization that really carry the team. But if they're the same rank, they get paid the exact same. There's no, mm. there's no quick, quick promotion per se. So that's frustrating. And, you know, the grass is always greener. You'd like to think that, you know, if I, quit this job and went and worked at you know a civilian company that if i really shown out above my peers that i would get a pay raise and a promotion in the corner office but i don't know i could just as easily not might so. be a similar case there yeah yeah okay yeah i can see all those things and then also i i would add and maybe you would agree that you do see beyond just employees, you just see inefficiencies and in, say the administration with the red tape and it's just like annoying. It is. Yeah. It's <laughs> definitely frustrating. It, it does constantly feel like you're doing the two steps forward, one step back and everything you do just because the army is operating on such a big budget. But even then you'll plan, um, you know, large training events just to have somebody decide, ah, I don't know if we really want to do this. You're like, well, I wish we thought of that maybe six months ago and we could have saved ourselves a lot of a lot of pain and time. Yeah, my coworker actually just got in the office and he just experienced this. We planned a division level exercise. So we're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars in training, <laughs> only to have somebody make one phone call and say, Let's uh let's think about this. I don't think we're gonna do it. Yep. And we're like, Well, that would have been good to know. So that's definitely frustrating as, you know. As somebody that's coming into work and wants to see something they've been working on for a long time come into fruition, get canceled on a whim. But that's that's not unique to the Army. You know, that can happen in any job. Yeah, that could happen even in the private sector. And I, I know it happens 
even on the civilian side of the DOD, you could be working on a project and all of a sudden it could change with administration. There's no money for that and they change direction or whatnot and all of a sudden that yeah. project's gone. So it, that sounds like a good point if someone is considering it. And I think that may be glossed over a little bit is that you will probably spend a lot of time away from home and you will be moving a lot, a fair amount for your career compared to, you know, if you work in the private industry, you could you could get a job and settle down for 20 years if you wanted to probably. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I do think that's something that's, that tends to be glossed over, and I think people should consider that. So uh, one of the questions I would ask you is, in the industry that you're in, so um, I guess as an officer uh, in the military, what do you see as the biggest challenges in the industry for, for the DOD, I guess, that you think that they need to work on overcoming? Are you asking me what the Army needs to overcome or the thing that officers struggle with the most in the Army? I was asking about what you think the, the army needs to overcome, what challenges are going to face the industry in the future. But I like the other question as well, where what do you think the individual needs to do? Okay. Well, I'll tackle the army question first. Um, caveat by saying that I did not think that I am qualified at all to speak on this, but I think that one of the biggest things right now is officers in particular join the army for certain reasons, you know, for the army as a whole, people would like to think that everybody joins the army to be uh, patriotic and, you know, they want to support, you know, the greater good and whatnot. Um, but a lot of people just join the army for a consistent job because they know that the army is always hiring um, and not necessarily because they're Captain America. That being said, for officers, I think that people do join the army because it's something that they're passionate about um, and they, they do feel a need to to serve and, you know, uphold their, their citizenship, etc. But the Army really struggles with retention, hmm. particularly among officers, in that, you know, I think a lot of people get into the job and are just ground down after a few years. And you see a lot of people right around that time of your service obligation being up. You know, I hit my five-year mark, and I will see a lot of my peers get out hmm. more than will stay in. And I think, you know, if you ask yourself, why would somebody want to leave the job, you know, if they liked it, um, largely it's because of money. Because so you can, you know, with the with the job resume that I'll have at five years just from working in the military, um, I could definitely, you know, easily double my income moving to the civilian sector if I got out in five years. Which, you know, you can see it as a pro. That's why a lot of people do it as they come in. They know that they're going to get to manage, you know tens of millions of dollars of assets and hundreds of people. And that transfers over to a pretty upper, upper lend managerial position in any company. So, but yeah, retention for the army is definitely a, a tough one because you see it among the high ranking officers where they're, they're a little worn down and you don't necessarily get promoted based on, you know, merit or uh, capability so much as some people just, are willing to accept those jobs. So that makes sense. That could be a, discouraging. Yes. You end up with kind of a few people rowing a pretty big boat. Mm -hmm. um, it seems and, like that, that kind of causes retention of the, the people you actually don't want to retain maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And I, <laughs> I think that's what I'm getting at. Sorry for being long winded on it, but yeah, that's, that's definitely something that specific to, to me that I see as an issue that it's, you know, it's not like in the civilian sector where you can just go, 
you know, Bob's really been working hard for the last year. Let's give him a pay raise, you know, mm-hmm. you know, or Jim's been showing up to work 30 minutes late every day. You know, let's, we'll fire him. <laughs> that doesn't really yeah. happen in the army. So people get a little, there's not a lot of motivation to work harder. So before for, you, yeah. before you go on to the uh, individual aspect, I did also want to uh, ask a question specifically regarding this topic of some of the biggest challenges the industry faces. The U.S. has the biggest military and, in a lot of ways, the most advanced military. But if you look at it as a ratio of how much money we put into it compared to how good our military is, and you look at other countries like, say, China or Russia, and how much money they put into their military and how good it is, I think one of the areas that I think our defense needs to improve on significantly is that ratio of how much money they spend to how good the military is. Because while our military is better than a lot of countries, we spend a lot more money to be, I would say, better, but not to the extent that we spend the money on, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I definitely don't feel comfortable speaking on that just because I think so much of where that money goes is not in areas that you would necessarily physically see, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah, it's not it's not like a, we're going to spend $100 million and create, you know, a million troops. That's not where the money's going. Okay. Yeah. We can leave it at that. So um, from the individual aspect, what do you think are the biggest challenges that you'll see once you're kind of transitioning into your career? Yeah, actually, I think this is where going to the service academy, I think, has really helped me. I think that a lot of people think, oh, if I go into the Army, I'm just going to be in the field a lot or, you know, camping, etc. But as an officer, a lot of what you do is managerial and online and having those just basic skills of PowerPoint, Excel, Word, managing Microsoft Outlook calendars, email, um, being able to write professionally, um, being able to analyze data that definitely helps a lot. And you see, I think that's where you can really first see the cut of who's struggling and who's not, because it's not that, you know, you're not capable in terms of leading soldiers or flying a helicopter or whatnot. But if you're having to spend a significant portion of your day, you know, building an Excel document of a list of soldiers, as opposed to the guy that can do that in five minutes, because he's, you know, a little more proficient online mm-hmm. you're going to be there a lot longer and then you know that starts to take its toll so i definitely see that as a struggle um and then the other part is just on an individual level being able to deal with stress and being able to deal with adversity and knowing that like you're going to have some bad days where you know especially in this profession it is not uncommon for if you mess up, you know, you're going to get chewed out and yelled at and sometimes publicly and you just take it on the chin um, and know that you're you're not quitting and you're not getting fired. So you got to go back to work and, you know, kind of recover that face and earn that respect back. I, I can beat some people down. And if they're not prepared for that, you know, kind of tough love, I guess, is the best way to describe it. You'll see some okay. people kind of fold up and that's it. You know, they never talk again. <laughs> So I kind of wanted to hit on uh, what you said before. A lot of people, once they hit that five-year mark, they transition. 
but mm-hmm. um, so you went to uh, flight school and you got certified for the Black Hawk helicopter. How would that translate to the commercial sector? Do you have a equivalent pilot's license for a helicopter or could you get one easily? Yes, uh, yes and yes. Um, so I guess there's kind of two ways to look at that. If you're in the Army as just a Black Hawk pilot, not necessarily an officer, um, yeah, you could get out. A lot of people will get out and go fly for the airlines. They'll transition over to fixed wing and go fly, you know, for Delta or American Airlines and whatnot. That's that's pretty popular. Um, you know, depending on your hour level, you could go fly for the police or wildlife, um, firefighter, etc. More common is a lot of people go into like aviation safety, become like inspectors or work at like an ATC center. So like just work at the Atlanta airport as an inspector or a manager. Um, But that's, that's all very aviation focused more often than not specific to my branch. um, People will get out and go to a job that has nothing to do with aviation, but it's just more managing assets and people. That's a good idea just a, a good way to highlight what kind of options you would have if you if you did go in and you decide you want to transition kind of out into the civilian market. Yeah. How did your job differ from your expectations? So you kind of hit on that a little bit, but what specifically, if you could point out one thing, differed the most from your expectations? Like before you even went to West Point, I would say. I think, you know, specifically as a pilot, I thought that I would fly more. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I definitely spend more time uh, working with people and online um, than flying. I think maybe on a larger scale, looking at when I went to West Point, you know, you had this kind of patriotic idea of like, I'm going to graduate, you know, flag on my shoulder, American soldier. But the day to day of it is more less about heroics and, you know, charging into battle so much as it is you can really just make a difference as with any job, talking to people. And I've had the more rewarding parts of my job have not come from, you know, flying a cool mission, you know, in Turkey or, you know, some big training event with the Marines here. It's been like I helped one of my soldiers get out of debt or, you know, providing some form of, marital counseling to a soldier who's struggling or, you know, a family that is having issues or helping people pay off their college debts, et cetera. So, okay. um, I think that was unexpected because it's not something that the army really focuses on, but, you know, unique, unique to the army for officers, your primary job is people. It's not, you know, managing a ship like it is in the Navy or, you know, a mechanic for airplanes as it is in the Air Force. Like the the primary, you know, war fighting function of the Army is from the infantry, which is exclusively people. So that is okay. definitely what they, they focus you on. I just, maybe I didn't realize the extent of which that's true. All right, yeah, and you kind of touched on my next topic. I was going to ask you, what were some of the most rewarding things from your career that you got out of it um, that maybe impacted your your worldview or your character. Yeah, I definitely think that, um, you know, helping out, just helping out people. Um, But I also think the most rewarding part about this job that I don't think you'll find 
um, or is, is harder to find outside of the military is the people you work with. It is definitely a brotherhood because you're going through something that is, you know, a pretty significant challenge and you're gone from your family, you're, you know, gone from your home a pretty large amount of time and your days are pretty tough. The people that you work with become incredibly tight knit. And that's the same for your families. Um, you know, I don't know how many people that work at, you know, a big bank other than going to happy hour, you know, their families like get together on the weekends and their kids play together and stuff. But that is definitely true for the military that you, you largely become one big family. And it's also a small community in that, you know, I can be in some field in Romania and look across and see somebody that I haven't seen in six years that I, you know, was in my B squad uh, at West Point. It's like, hey, like, man, I haven't seen you in forever. Like, what are the odds that we meet up literally in this field in the middle of nowhere, halfway across the globe? Um, and it's just like it was, you know, you'd met him a week ago. You just pick right up where you left off. And I think that's incredibly rewarding, just knowing that no matter where you are, what you're doing, that you kind of have people. That yeah, you have that brotherhood with people. Bond. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And you're the first person. Well, I mean, other than Major Hall, you're the first person I really interviewed who had recently gotten to the career that has kind of like a family and everything. Um, yeah. So that's good. And you don't have kids yet, do you? No. Okay. <laughs> no, we're going to try and wait on that for a few more years. <laughs> All right. Um, so I did have a question about time off. Uh, you know, obviously in the, in the private sector, you earn your time off, you can take it out pretty much whenever and they can't really hassle you too much about it, but here, I imagine there's a little bit more, um, I guess I would say, restrictions on when you can take your time off. Like, obviously, if you have something big coming up, you can't take time off for that. Yeah, uh, leave is definitely an issue. I mean, they try and block off periods of time where you're allowed to put in for, they call it block leave, where you can take, you know, a couple weeks of time off. Um I wouldn't say it's hard to necessarily get like a three-day weekend or a four-day weekend every now and then. Um, they're pretty flexible with that. Um, but that being said, like I had to reschedule my wedding um, because we were deploying. Um, my coworker had to reschedule his wedding <laughs> because okay. of a training <laughs> event. So possibly twice now. Yeah, he might have to do it again. So. Um, they'll work with you, but at a certain point, you know, they're, they will always say, you know, the mission is more important. The mission is more important, whether that's, you know, somebody randomly scheduled a, a meeting <laughs> on your three day weekend and you've got to come in. Um, and then I imagine it's even all the more frustrating if you, you go through the trouble and you, you say move a wedding and then once it comes time, they're like, ah, we don't have to do this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so they're definitely, uh. They try and be considerate and, you know, let you take time off. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you signed up for what you signed up for. So they'll uh, they'll take advantage of that where they can. All right. So working to wrap this thing up, what kind okay. of uh, advice or cautions would you would you tell someone who's looking to do a similar route, go to maybe a service academy and become an officer in the Army or other, other service branch, I think would be similar? Um. I think just 
do the research on the front end. Um, there's a lot of opportunities that you can take advantage of, whether you go to a service academy or not, in terms of getting your college paid for. And I think that's probably the biggest motivator for um, high schoolers that want to go into the Army is that, you know, I can get my college paid for for free and not have the school debt because that's something that's huge for me, you know, regardless of my income. You know, I make what I make, but I'm not paying off. Yeah, I'm debt free mm-hmm. with a four-year engineering degree. Um, and my classmates, you know, have medical degrees that are completely free or law degrees that are free. Um and on the flip side, yeah, you owe, you know, five years or what have you. Um, but I could get out of the Army at 27. You know, I'm not even 30 yet. I'm in my mid to late 20s and be able to then walk into a job where at that time in my life, I will have already managed or been in charge of, you know, a few hundred people you know, and upwards of $200 million in assets. So just, you know, you can ballpark what kind of job that, that puts you in line for and you're debt free. So I think that's, that's big. But on the flip side of that, understand that those five years of your life may not necessarily be uh, fun day to day. Um, you know, you're going to work some long days. You're going to work some days in some conditions that they really suck. Um, you know, whether it's in training accidents or you're deployed, like you'll, you will lose people. And I think that's something that, you know, we didn't really get into a whole lot. And I don't think there's a need to, but you know, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous job and that's something to consider. Um, but for that same reason, it's also an exciting job, um, with a lot of really, really good people. So I think there's, there's pros and cons to it, just like with everything, but I do want to hit on uh, another thing that I actually asked in Delirian's interview, but I want to confirm and see if it's the same with this. But if, say, you finish your four-year degree, but say you want to go be a doctor, will they pay for that as well and, ex- and just, uh, I guess, put a pause on your service commitment or what? Yeah, so it kind of runs congruent. Um, at the service academies, you can go into the medical field, um, as just in the medical branch, you could go in as just a like hospital administrator, which you're not going to get like a doctor um, or a degree in medicine per se, but you just be like a hospital administrator, um, okay. which is a pretty good gig in retrospect. Mine should have done that, but, um, but no, yeah, there's definitely, there's a handful of people in every class that do want to become doctors and yeah, you apply and the army pays for it. And then you come back in as, you know, a captain that's a, a doctor. We have um, a couple people doing that right now, actually. So Now, when you go for an advanced degree, do you do that at West Point, or can you do that at any college? Uh, no. Yeah, so West Point is exclusively for your undergrad. So right now, if I wanted to go, um, if I wanted to get my master's degree, I would do it as a captain, so here in two years, three years. Um, and the Army would pay for it, but I would incur another... Uh, three years of service okay yeah makes sense that yeah matches what delarian said with everything which i figured that would be the same if somebody was determined to get into this field you know after hearing this and all your cautions advice they'd done their research uh what advice would you have for their best chances of getting in being very successful in the job um just like with any job not to use the cliche you get in when you or you get out of it what you put in but 
definitely in the army this job is based so much on respect as much as it is results and that's just the respect that you earn from people really from caring about what you do and that's not unique to any job just if you're passionate about what you're doing you know and you're willing to show up early and stay late because you have pride in your work and the biggest thing that I tell um, new officers or myself every day is that if something has your name on it, no matter what it is, you should be proud to like give it to someone. And that doesn't matter if it's like a you know a huge project report or if that's just like your you know a little memo that you wrote up for your boss. Um, you know if it's got if it's got your name on it make sure it looks professional and that it reflects you in everything you do. So regardless of what they go into, but in the military, you know, it's, it is a small community. So it follows you. If you're that guy that consistently turns in sloppy stuff or, you know, leaves early and shows up late every day, it, it follows you and people will know you for that. Okay. And if, uh, say you finish at the service Academy and you start working as an officer or whatever, um, and let's just say you, you really do hate it. Or, you know, something happens at home and you, 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 you have to quit or you feel like you have to quit. Would you have to repay everything? Do you know about that? No, so I'd, not to the extent that people would want me to sufficiently answer this question. So, Okay. Um, I'm sure that's pretty uncommon. Yeah, I mean, if you do get kicked out, no, you don't have to pay anything back. It's just it's pretty rare for that to happen, honestly. I, I don't think I can adequately speak to it okay all right i remember delarian said when you're at the service academy still the first two years are basically free you could leave within the first two years not to pay anything back but once you get yeah. to the third year you that would is have true. to pay it back and it's very expensive because you know yep it's just like, yeah so uh, if you get kicked out if you get kicked out of west point your senior year um because after two years is when you officially contract like you sign your commitment so the first two years are kind of like free. That's why so many people quit. If they quit, or in the first two years. And then that junior and senior year, if you get at that point kicked out or quit, yeah, it's about four to $500,000. So. so don't quit. Don't get kicked yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. If you were talking to someone who was determined to go into the military and they wanted to create a career out of it, would you suggest them trying to go to an officer school or go through the officer route and avoid enlistment if they want to make a whole career out of it? Or do you think that depends on what they actually want to do more? Um, I think it depends on the person. I mean, you know, going officer route's not for everybody. And a lot of people come in enlisted and then will go back to school and come back in as an officer. Um, I think if you're going to be in for 20 years, yes, I would, I would recommend doing it as an officer just for the pay. Um, and the chance to actually be your, be the boss as opposed to constantly having to listen to someone else. Um, can you, can you yeah, touch on real quick? What's the process if you wanted to become an officer, but say you, if you're an enlisted man, is that process, uh, any easier or, um, I mean, it's just like anything, you know, if you want it and you're willing to put some work into it, you can definitely make it happen. The army's got, it's called the green to gold program. Um, you know, you're command team will fill out a packet on you and you do some classes um they'll send you back if you don't have a degree at that time you go get your degree and then you go to a school and then you commission as an officer so it's definitely not uncommon and very doable 
Okay. All right. I think that pretty much answers all my questions. Do you want to, uh, I'll give you the chance here to maybe like, uh, kind of revel us on what, what was, uh, the most exciting story or interesting story from West Point? Yeah. Do you have any fun stories from that? <laughs> oh, fun and bad. Um, no, I would just say that it's very specific to West Point. Um, the Army-Navy football game is the real national championship of college football. And uh, whether you go to a service academy or not, if you get a chance to go to that game, I won't say it's the best uh, football in terms of the sport, but in terms of the atmosphere, uh, you can't beat it. And I'll stand by that no matter what stage college football is played on. That's the best football game you can go to. It's right. different. Final question. What's up with the cigars when y'all graduate? Is it just like pass them out or y'all just all buy them or what? With the what? Don't y'all get like a bunch of cigars when y'all graduate? I remember seeing some pictures. Oh, you no, and that's, your brother. Uh, that's Christmas dinner. Christmas dinner. Okay. Yeah. Christmas dinner. Everybody eats in the, you know, you eat in the big mess hall with everybody. And then you got on the, they call it the apron. Everybody smokes the the celebratory Christmas cigar, yeah. Okay, so that's kind of like a tradition there. That is, yeah. They've got a bunch of them, so that's that's uh, unique to the service academies. There's definitely big traditions. It's kind of like one big Greek life. (laughs) All right, well, that wraps things up. I'd like to thank you for doing the interview with me. I think it's been enlightening for those who are considering the career path. Uh, Anything else you want to add in here at the last minute? No, I just uh, thanks for reaching out, and uh, I think it's awesome that you're doing this. So, and it was good catching up with you, man. All right, thanks. See you, Cody. Bye. See ya. Well, that wraps up another great podcast. I'd like to thank Elliot again for coming on the show, and I'd like to thank you, the audience, for listening. Uh, I'd like to remind you that you can reach out uh, to us at kwcpodcast at gmail dot com. You can nominate someone to be interviewed, whether that be you or a friend. You could just tell me what you like about the show, what you dislike about the show. Also, if you could do that in the actual comments on whatever platform you're using and rate the podcast, that also helps. Uh, But lastly, I'd like to reiterate to you that the best way to spread the podcast is by word of mouth. You can either do that physically or just on Facebook. Pass it on if you think anybody would like to listen to it or or needs to listen to it if they're getting ready to go to college uh, or make you know, the next step in their life and go and start a career or start a new career. But once again, I'd like to thank you, the audience, for listening. Um, And here's a little sneak peek. The next episode will be on teachers. So get ready for that. Thanks.